Amen. Uh, This morning, I would like to speak out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and in mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good." so that we may share his holiness. All discipline, for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So this morning, uh, this message is titled, A Father's Discipline. And I would like to talk to you about the discipline of the Lord. Now, before we actually begin in talking about the discipline from the Lord, there's there's two foundational things that I want to lay down uh, that that it's important to understand. Because if if you're twisted in, in these views... 
you're not going to view the discipline correctly. Uh, so the two things, the two foundational things, is that is, is our sin and the fatherhood of God. So first thing is the sin that, that may result in discipline has already been paid for. See, the ultimate punishment for the sin that you've committed, if you are a child of God, it's already been paid for. It's already been done. It's already been taken care of. The, the punishment, the ultimate punishment, has fallen completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no wrath left for the believer. Jesus Christ drank the wrath, the cup of wrath, fully. There are no droplets of wrath left for the believer. Everything, it's gone. There's no wrath at all, completely taken away. So therefore, we cannot be condemned because of our sin, right? What does Romans 8 say? Right, therefore, there is now no condemnation. That's it. It's not, therefore, there is, well, some condemnation, you know, you've gotten your sins forgiven, and then afterwards, you know, you sin again, there's going to be more condemnation. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. None. No condemnation at all. So therefore, your sin is, has been taken care of, and it's completely gone. So yes, there's no condemnation, but we can be chastised. There's a big difference. We are no longer criminals in the courtroom of God, but now we are in the household of our Father. You see the difference between a judge and a father. They're going to treat sins differently, right? So that brings up to the second point, that God is our Father, this, this whole section is completely, it's seasoned with the fatherhood of God. I mean, how many times does he say, you know, father and son? I mean, it's, it's throughout this whole section dealing with discipline. You know, he says, you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, my son, right? And then he scourges every son. He doesn't say scourges every sinner, scourges every son that he receives, and he even goes and, and he says here, for, the, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. See, again, here's the fatherhood of God. The father loves his children in a deep, intimate way. You're not going to understand the discipline of the Lord if, if you don't understand that God loves you, right? It's going to be twisted. And also, God is not like our father's. You know, it says here in verse 9, we all had earthly fathers to discipline us. You know, each of us come from different backgrounds. Some had good fathers, some disciplined. But sometimes the discipline might have been a little excessive or some of it not enough. Some of us might have had fathers, but they were aloof. They were not even around. Or some not at all in their lives, period. You cannot, you cannot take what you've experienced and place that and, 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 and cause to interpret the fatherhood of God. You know, you're going to come with some presuppositions of what God is like, and it's going to twist that view. God is not like your father. God is better than your father. See, God's discipline is precise and perfect. It's like a double-edged sword. It's exactly what we need. It's not a hair too harsh and not a hair too soft. It's not like Rehoboam, right, who threatened to discipline with scorpions, right? It's, It's not too harsh, 
But it's also not like Eli, right? Did he discipline his sons? No, he didn't discipline his sons. He failed in that. But see, God is, again, he's precise in his dealings with his sons and daughters. Exactly to the point. He knows what we can handle, and it's, it's exactly what we need at the time to get us out of that. But the key, I think, is here in verse 10 of Hebrews 12, 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. It tells us the heart and the intention of God, right? So he says, okay, yes, you know, I'm, I'm going to discipline. But listen, why? Why am I, go- why am I going to discipline? Where is it coming from? It, it's, it's for our good. A good father is going to discipline us for our good, and that's what he's doing. And not just that, he doesn't even stop there. He also gives us the end result. So he gives us the heart from where it comes from and and the reason why he's doing it. And then he says, I'm going to discipline. And then he gives us the end. Why? Why is he going to discipline? What's the end result? So that we may share his holiness. That's why God disciplines us. Out of love, out of the goodness of his heart, for our good, he disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. So those are a few foundational things as we begin talking about discipline. So what, what is discipline? I, I always like to uh, look up the definition, uh, just because sometimes you kind of, you, you define things yourself, and you, you can miss things. You know, what, what does this actually mean? So a few definitions here. The practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. Strong's definition is tutorage, education or training by implication, disciplinary correction, chastening, chastisement, instruction, instruction, sorry, <laughs> nurture. Uh, in the Greek word, the, uh, I actually had to listen to a YouTube to know how to pronounce it, uh, but it's paideia um, in this section, and it refers to the rearing and education of the ideal member of society. So that's how the Greeks use this. Their method was similar to a modern liberal arts education to be well-rounded. So it wasn't just like one point, but it's, it's the whole education. The idea was perfection of excellence. And even this, this Greek word, its usage in the New Testament, there's, there's only two other verses that it's used. Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, discipline, and righteousness. You see, for me, when I was studying this, it just opened this up for me because I, I had a misconception of discipline. I did something wrong, discipline. That's it. Like, that, that's not right. That's an incorrect view of discipline. Discipline is, is like an education, right? And yes, there's punishment involved for the purpose of education. It's for training, for equipping, for nurturing, I like I liked Strong's definition of tutorage, like a tutor, 
someone in, in a tutor is kind of right above you, watching you, correcting you when necessary, guiding you in the right path, right? So God uses discipline like a tutor to tutor us, to train us, so that we may share in his holiness. And he does that out of love for us. So discipline. The rest of the time here, I want to focus on um, two reasons why or how we are disciplined. Disciplined because we have sinned and disciplined for the purpose of training. So the first thing is disciplined because we have sinned. And again, this is typically the first thing that we think of when we hear discipline, but it's real, right? You know, a lot of us have children, and it's, it's a common thing, unfortunately. You know, a, a child disobeys, and you discipline. A child disobeys and discipline. So that, that, it kind of defines it for us. But we, we do have to kind of get beyond that. You know, again, it's, it's, an, it's an education. It's, it's the training. Um, in the Bible, I think of uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. You don't You don't have to turn there. Um, in the context here, so he's, Paul is speaking to the, ter- the church in Corinth, um, and he's talking about the, the Lord's Supper. And what's happening is some of these Corinthian Christians, they are, they're, you know, they're passing around this cup uh, of, of wine, and some are drinking into excess to where they're getting drunk. And so some are getting drunk, and some aren't able to have any. So you see just the sin there, the debauchery, and everything that's going on. So what does God do? Paul says, for that reason, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So let's let's move. Let's take this verse and let's move backwards. What's the so? So that we will not be condemned along with the world. So that we will share in his holiness, right? That's the end. That's what God's motivation, that's, what, that's the, the, the end result, the purpose of the discipline. But what happened to these Corinthian Christians? Well, they were disciplined by the Lord in love. Some of them grew weak, whether that's physically weak or spiritually weak. Some got sick because of their sin. Some died because of their sin. This is, this is a reality. We, we can't say that every single time, though, that somebody is weak or somebody is sick or somebody dies, though, is saying, oh, that person must have sinned. You know, we can't judge that. But this is a reality. This is a truth. I know from my, from my past uh, growing up, there was a guy that I, I'm convinced was a believer, and he fell into adultery. And out of that in- adultery, he contracted HIV, and he died. But, but what happened? It's like that happened and he repented. And he turned from that. And I mean, and his testimony is a, a, a glorious testimony of how the Lord saved him from, from that scenario and restored his marriage and his family and everything. So God used that for good in his life. It resulted in his death eventually and a lot of pain. But it used it for good and it saved him from the condemnation along with other sinners so that he might share in the holiness of God. See, oftentimes we, we, we kind of focus in on the punishment, right? The, the sickness or the death or, or, you know, just what pains us. I liked the, um, a quote from John Piper. 
He says, our pain is not the effect of God's hate, but of God's love. So to say it in a different way, our pain is the effect of God's love. But again, sometimes we focus on the the pain, right? And we forget the source from where it came from. It's similar to... um, it's similar to blessings, right? You know, oftentimes when we're blessed with something, we can kind of be focusing on the, the, the blessing of it and how good this is. Well, in the same way, we look at pain and we can kind of, it can consume us and we start thinking about the pain and we forget, again, from where it comes from. You know, I was thinking of that, that song that we sing, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise, or some other one says, tune my heart to sing thy grace, It's like, I wonder if we often, if we should sometimes change it and say, come thou fount of every trial, tune my heart to sing thy grace. So every blessing and every trial comes from the hand of God, out of love for you, for a purpose, right? The Lord's discipline at the time, it might be unpleasant, as it says there uh, in verse 13. I'm sorry, not verse 13, I'm so sorry. Uh, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. I mean, nobody really, truly enjoys pain. <laughs> you know, it's not a joyful thing to be disciplined by the Lord, right? But, it, but again, it, it's the source, and it's from where it comes from. It ought to bring us back to the Lord and to rejoice in him and to be thankful for him. You, you think there with, with um, pain and everything, you, you think of, uh, or actually even further down in verse 13, it talks about, so the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed, right? And, you know, sometimes if you break a bone, sometimes the doctor might have to re-break it to put it back into place, and there's pain involved. But there's a purpose behind it, right? The pain is inflicted so that you might get the ultimate healing from it, right? You know, the, the, the deeper the thorn in the flesh, the deeper the cut has to be to pull it out. It's going to be painful, but it's going to be out of love and good for us. So that's discipline because we have sinned. The next is discipline for the purpose of training. Again, we, tink, we tend to think of discipline as the result of sin, but discipline can actually come as a result of obedience. So I, I was thinking of two different storms or two different types of storms in scripture that came for discipline. The first one was Jonah, right? What happened to him? He sinned and rebelled against the Lord. The Lord sent a storm in his life, right? A physical storm. He was tossed over the boat. What happened? In the end, he repented. Another one is the disciples. They went through several storms. Uh, But, you know, what happened there in Mark 4, right? You know, Jesus was sleeping in the boat, and there a storm comes. You know, Jesus tells them to go out in the boat and to cross the sea. They're in obedience. It's not like they've done something wrong. They were walking in obedience with the Lord. The Lord sends, you know, God sends a storm among them, and they're afraid. And they call out to Jesus, you know, Lord, do you not even care that we're perishing? And Jesus goes up and rebukes the wind and, and calms the storm. And, and all of a sudden, it, it reflects something in their life, though. It does bring out sin, Jesus reveals that you have a lack of faith, right? So discipline can come not as a result of sin, 
But in, in the discipline, it can reveal sin. Not, not all the time. Sometimes you can, you can press through it and walk in faith through it. But it can, at times, reveal sin. I think maybe a better example of this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And before I begin with this, I, I have to say, again, you know, the, the, Jesus was without sin. He was pure, the pure and spotless lamb. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Absolutely no sin in his life. Yet, he was disciplined by his father. These words are kind of hard for me to say, that Jesus was disciplined. Because, again, I'm coming from my background and my thoughts of what discipline is. But God was training Jesus, disciplining Jesus. Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus grew in one degree of obedience to another. He was already obedient, but the suffering caused a greater degree of, of obedience. Therefore, God ordained discipline or suffering in the life of Christ to bring about a greater degree of obedience. And that's the same for us. God might ordain some type of suffering in our life to bring about a greater degree of obedience. Again, you might not have sinned. It might not be a a, a cause for that, that you did something wrong, and therefore God's inflicting this upon you. God's using suffering or trials in your life to bring about a greater degree of obedience and trust in him. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, some of you might be wondering why I was uh, reading there in, in Hebrews chapter 11. But, but how do you view these? How do you view some of this stuff? I mean, some were stoned. Some were sawn in two. I mean, those were trials. Those were big trials. Who sent those trials upon them? It was, it was the Father, Right? I mean, again, we have to get past ourselves and look in the eyes of God. God sent these trials upon these people of old for their good. And what, what happened? They were tested. Their faith was tested, right? And they came through, and they were strengthened in that. And because of that, our faith can be strengthened. God used that for their good and our good. The testing of faith produces endurance so we can't see these things as some unforeseen force or even purely demonic right what about job look at job right of course the the devil inflicted this upon him but who allowed it to happen god right have you considered my servant job job was sitting there blameless in a way i mean i we can't say that he was completely without sin but it wasn't as a result of sin God caused this infliction, right? So God allowed Satan to afflict his servant, Job, and what happened in the end, right? He was purified, right? It, 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 it purified Job and brought him in a closer relationship with the Father. Okay, so that's, these are kind of bigger things, right? Not all of us are getting, you know, you know people in our family dying and stuff taken away from us like Job and, and you know, all of that stuff. But now what about to the, day, the day-by-day things, right? Things that just kind of rub you the wrong way. How do you react when someone in front of you is driving slowly, you know, or, or things like your children? 
you know, you discipline your child for the third time in the last 30 minutes. And it's, it's like, okay, you're not going to get this. <laughs> and, it, and it rubs you, rubs you the wrong way. Okay, how do you view that? I mean, that, that's from the Lord, right? Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes some things to work together for good. No, he causes all things to work together for good. Everything in our life, everything in our life, everything in our life is, is being caused for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I love this, um, this quote from Amy Carmichael. She says, The best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes. So the best training is to learn to accept everything as it comes. As from him whom our soul loves. The tests are always unexpected things, not great things that can be written up, but the common little rubs of life, silly little nothings. I mean, you look back and you're like, that was foolish. Why did I get so upset about that, that little thing? Things you are ashamed of minding at all, yet they can knock a strong man over and lay him very low. See, again, and that's, that's probably the most common discipline in our lives as Christians is these, these little things day in and day out. Somebody rubs you the wrong way or, or something doesn't happen exactly how you planned it to happen. Why? Why is that? Why didn't it go that way? Well, we have a father who loves us, right? And he wants good for our lives. We might not know all of the reasons why God does it, but we know, again, it, it's for our good so that we may share in his holiness. And again, these things, it might reveal sin, you know, like the disciples showing a lack of faith, or it might just be used to strengthen us, like the testing of our faith. So, so maybe some questions here. So how do I know, then, if I am being disciplined for sin, or if this is just a training? You know, and we have to be careful about this. Um, it's possible to carry this too far, you know, in thinking about, did I, did I sin against the Lord? You know, why, am, why, am I, why did I get this pain? What did I do? What did I do? You know, it, it can be a heavy burden on people. Ultimately, we don't know. You know, ultimately, we can't say always, this is a result of sin or this isn't. Um, but regardless, the answer is the same, right? What, what should you do regardless? If you've sinned or if you haven't sinned, what are you supposed to do? Learn. You learn, right? That's right. You learn from it, right? And it causes you to bend the knee. It causes you to run to the Father and trust in him. And, you know, if, if you have sinned, you know, what father is there, what good father is there if a child has disobeyed? I mean, he's going to tell them what they did, right? He's going to say, you know, you disobeyed me by doing this. He's going to be specific, and the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit will do that for you. If you are running to the Lord and trusting in him and being obedient to him, he's going to reveal these things to you. So I would encourage not to necessarily focus so much upon did, did I sin against the Lord? You'll know if you did. But to run to him and, and to cling to him. So the next, the next question is, okay, how do we tell the difference between the trials of the lost man and a Christian? Okay, so if I'm saying then that the discipline of the Lord for, the, for, for a Christian is basically every pain or trial 
in the Christian's life, you know, what's the difference then? I mean, lost men can go through more trials in a way than a Christian. What's the difference there? Well, the lost man is going to continue in his sin, right? The lost man's going to prove that they are truly illegitimate children, that they're not children at all. They're not going to be sharing in his holiness. And later on it says, um, oops, got to find the verse here, uh, verse 11, and afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. See, that's not going to happen with a Christian. So yes, some of the pain looks the same, but the results are different. The Christian's going to be hardened in sin. I did. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me, sister. <laughs> the lost man is going to be hardened, uh, and they're going to continue in their sin. Uh, but the Christian is going to be softened, right, by the discipline of the Lord, and they're going to return to the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, we must, we must endure under the discipline of the Lord. Whatever is afflicting you right now, I mean, this, again, this, this is all Christians. We all Christians undergo discipline. And again, if you're, if you're not being disciplined and corrected by the Lord, that proves that you're not a child of God. But we must endure this discipline. We must, again, we must go back to the Lord. And, and again, this is what he's encouraging us with. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him, don't faint under the, the discipline of the Lord. If we believe that God is good and that God is doing this for our good so that in the end we might be saved and that we might share in his holiness, it's like we can stand under that. But you have to view these things in the right way. I would encourage you maybe as a supplemental um, message uh, Charles spoke on endurance kind of out of the section here back in January 5th so you can listen to that any we have maybe a few minutes here any questions or any anything that I mean there, there's so much in, in in regards to discipline there's so much to say but yes